back to another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast, where we'll recap ASU's historic 29 to nothing loss to Fresno State. I'm Ethan Tuttle, joined alongside the regular crew. Jake Seymour's with me. Jake, how are you doing today? You're good, Ethan. Good being here. We also have Noah Furtado. Noah, how are you doing today? Good. Ready to talk about um, bad football, I guess. And we got Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing? Well, sufficiently recovered from going to sleep at uh, 4 a.m. Uh, for the third week in a row and ready to uh, discuss this game. Guys, it was the Sun Devils' first time being shut out at home since 1988, and it was the most turnovers in a game for the Sun Devils since at least 1973. ASU featured three quarterbacks in the game, including four-string Jacob Conover, who would finish the game. And look, guys, Injuries have just been flat out catastrophic for this team. And in Saturday's game, there were more instances of players coming out of the game injured. 15 players in total were unable to play due to injury in Fresno State game, all of which who were featured in the two deep, most of which uh, were starters. Let's go ahead and run through some of those injuries, starting with the quarterback. Jaden Rashada has an undisclosed injury. He'll be out four to six weeks. Trent Borgay and Drew Pine both left the game on Saturday. Borgay left pointing to his left ankle and Drew Pine left uh, pointing at his groin muscle. So we're unsure specifically with Drew Pine what's wrong there. We'll have an update coming, though, hopefully soon on that. And then Jalen Conyers did not play this past week, but he did have a tweet come out uh, just today, which makes it seem like he might be back. Still waiting to hear officially on that, though. Moving over the O-line, Ben Coleman, Isai Glass, Emmett Bowling, and Cade Briggs did not play on Saturday. Maxi Onachor went down on Saturday. Aaron Frost played one series against the Fresno State Bulldogs, but he's still working on coming back from an ACL tear that he suffered last August. Joey Ramos is still playing. He had a club on his hand for the third straight game, however, and he's still working on getting through that. Then over to the running back position, DeCarlos Brooks did not play with an undisclosed injury. Tevin White came out with a right shoulder issue on Saturday's game. From what we observed, it looked like the right shoulder. And then a wide receiver, Jordan Tyson, still has not seen the field. The Colorado transfer suffered an injury last season and is still recovering. Melquan Stovall got banged up in the fourth quarter after a catch. And defensively for the Sun Devils, Clayton Smith was in a walking boot that was on his left ankle. And Anthony Cooper did not play with an undisclosed injury. And then Shamari Simmons, who was injured in practice on Wednesday, played after it appeared that he wouldn't with that arm injury. And so that's 15 total scholarship players out in last week's game due to injury. Guys, let's go ahead and start things off with just how this has been affecting the ASU offense so far. Uh, Jake, we'll kick it off with you. Yeah, you know, I think with the injuries, you know, first and foremost, you look at the offensive line uh, because that's kind of where the bulk of the injuries are. Um, and just to start off, when you're losing, you know, that many key offensive linemen, um, you know, to your blocking scheme, it's hard. Uh, to consistently find a rhythm uh, between a bulk of guys rotating in. Um, and, it, you know, it's one of those things I feel like where, you know, the cliche football answer is you just got a next man up mentality, right? And, you know, someone has to take the next step. But when every week when there's somebody going down and there's someone else who has to take the next step up, there's no one else to help that guy take that step up, right? So I think once you get into the, you know, to that far down your depth chart, like we saw, we saw Sean Na'a take reps um, toward the, you know, later part of that game. Once you start getting down there, it gets really hard, um, you know, to start having guys be, have success um, in the blocking scheme and to get that run game going. Noah, from what you've seen, how is, 
how are the injuries affecting ASU's offense most so far? I don't even know how they're expected to really function in a way that looks right with with all of these guys out. Um, you know, the next man up thing that Jake was mentioning, I mean, if Jacob Conover starts this week, the next man up is a walk-on, a walk-on freshman quarterback, Hunter Herrera. So um, I think that it's really difficult for people to watch and, and still keep in mind how difficult it is to basically show some sense of functionality in, in their operation. Um, I, I know, you know, there's been consideration or talk um, on social media. Chris mentioned this on Twitter the other day that some play calling um, differences, if, if Dillingham pulls up and, and decides to take that over. Um, but, I, but I just think overall, regardless of whoever's calling these plays, um, you need players to run them. And, and obviously they're going deep and deep and deep into their, their depth for, for guys who didn't even expect to play this year, um, maybe even next year. Sean Na is a freshman. He's very talented. Maxi Onichur, also very uh, talented, but raw. Um, a lot of these guys, uh, they're, they're thrown into the fire and, um, you know, really not expected to. Um, on, on the bright side, you might consider them getting reps at this point uh, in a season where they have a bowl ban to be a positive. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in terms of them going through uh, some of these struggles now, uh, it might be good for them in the long run, but right now it's, it's hard, I think, for ASU fans just to, to take it in, comprehend, and actually sit with it with really a majority of their season still here uh, left to go. Chris, what are your thoughts? So I've been pretty closely following ASU football for about 30 years and professionally for 20 years. And this is the most number of offensive injuries that I've seen early in the season. Um, we looked at it and in the, since joining the conference in 1978, ASU's only played four quarterbacks in a season one time. And um, that was 2000, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but from then until now, uh, the most they've ever used is three quarterbacks in a game. And this is the third game of the season, and they have a walk-on Hunter Herrera freshman who wasn't even padded up for this game, have to go into the locker room, throw, some, throw, throw his gear on, and come out as the backup quarterback to Jacob Conover. I, if... If I asked you guys before the start of the season, the odds of Jacob Conover ever playing in a game, uh, you guys would have said the odds were extremely low of that happening. And so would I. Like That was completely not expected to happen when you got three other quarterbacks uh, ahead. And um, the idea that Kenny Dillingham tried to put a brave face on this today at the press conference saying he thought for the circumstances the offensive line played pretty, pretty well. Well, my view of it is that um, some of the guys maybe did decently well, but their overall capability is obviously not remotely close to what it would be had these those other guys been been healthy. Um, and there's examples of this uh, uh, that are numerous. Um, you had in the second the second time that Drew Pine lost a fumble on a strip sack deep in, in ASU's territory. 
that happened because Aaron Frost was playing a guard and didn't recognize a twist action. And the end came around and had a free run right at Pine, who should have been able to get rid of the football, by the way, or at least not turned it over. Um, but he's never played guard in his life. And so on the inside, recognizing a twist action like that is different. You have Max Ihanachor, who uh, he, he's played one year of organized football before this season. And then he's out there at right tackle. And then he doesn't play the whole fourth quarter. And they have a freshman, true freshman, Sean Na'a out there. Um, so ASU has struggled more than any time in recent years to run the football at the outset of the season. And even though maybe they're not as dynamic at the running back position as they have been in recent years, I don't think even if they had Rashad White, you know, Benjamin, whoever, that they would be running the ball that well right now because they're not able to have the type of impact at the point of attack that you would normally have if you had a pretty good or better offensive line. And then that creates a lot of limitations to what you can do overall with your offense because if teams know that you're not capable of really running it that much, it hurts you in the play action concepts. It hurts you in your RPO actions. And then you have to devise all new different types of stuff in order to try to scratch out some type of success, right? And that is also very hard. We didn't even mention Troy O'Meary didn't dress. He's a backup wide receiver. That's not an injury-related thing, we don't think. But he didn't dress. Uh, and so it'd be Tyson Brown. Uh, he didn't play until late in the game. Tevin White getting hurt. Those are your athletic running backs. And so there's only so much that you really can do creatively to try to get the ball in the hands of Xavier Guillory, Elijah Badger, and Stovall, Geo Sanders. They, that remains probably ASU's best positions, but they're neutered by the pass rush that quarterbacks are facing, being down to your fourth quarterback, some of the other quarterbacks not being able to take the top off of the defense. Remember in this game, for instance, there was nothing that was thrown vertically complete. ASU tried a couple times, not able to get the ball on target. And um, so injuries are truly catastrophic to on the offensive side of the ball. Defense, not that bad. A couple guys down, it's really not, you know, maybe even below average in terms of their, their number of injuries that they have. But I've never seen, just to, just to underline this point, I've never seen in 30 years ASU have this many injuries on the offensive side of the ball this early. And when you're in the first year of a, uh, a, a program that you're trying to build from a foundational standpoint, that makes it extraordinarily difficult. When Coach Kenny Dillingham addressed the media today, he hinted that injuries for Drew Pine and Trenton Borgay might be better than they would have originally assumed on Saturday's game when they left the game. But right now, let's just kind of take a full zoom on the quarterback room and, and see what your guys' thoughts are with all these injuries. We've talked a little bit about Jacob Conover coming in as well. So uh, what's your assessment with where that room is right now and what are some of the biggest concerns uh, moving forward immediately? Uh, Jake, let's go to you. Yeah, I mean, just in the quarterback room as a whole, obviously losing Rashad out for four to six weeks uh, puts a lot of strain onto that room because it's hard to come in in any position, let alone quarterback, where you have to you know, manage the entire offense. It's hard just to be inserted uh, in the middle of the season and be asked to perform at a high level um, and compete, right? 
So I think, you know, right now the quarterback situation, it's like you said, Ethan, it's kind of, uh, you know, unknown, possibly, you know, uh, Pine and Borgay's status. Uh, it's kind of up in the air. Um, and like I said, it was better news than maybe what they had anticipated on Saturday. Uh, but as of right now, it appears, you know, when, when you know, we all had to practice tomorrow that Conover, you know, is possibly taking first team reps and Hunter Ferreira, um, you know, is taking all second team reps. And Dillingham said that today that they were talking about Hunter possibly having, you know, to step in on the second second offensive team reps. And Jake Smith was going to be the guy to be the scout quarterback just to kind of provide a little bit of speed, especially in uh, preparation for Caleb Williams this, uh, this upcoming week. No, what kind of challenges does this uh, pose for the Sun Devils with the injured quarterbacks right now? I think ASU fans miss Rashada now. Um, that's for sure. I, you know, the I think the biggest question that came up was like whether or not um, injuries were truly the underlying uh, factor behind how bad they played. Um, I mean, your three quarterbacks combined for what is it, five interceptions, um, and Pine also lost two fumbles. That's seven of your eight turnovers right there. And obviously it's maybe not all on them. We already talked through some of the offensive line issues, protection-wise, things of that sort. Um, but but even in that case, you know, Dillingham started um, last week by pointing out how Rashada had been, you know, all things considered, doing well, progressing well, um, had only one turnover through two games. And, um, you know, so if, if he was still available, which he's not, um, and it's, it's not likely that he plays more than four games based on what Dillingham had mentioned, um, trying to preserve his redshirt year, uh, it, it's, it's difficult. It's hard to discern whether or not there are improvements to be had at the quarterback position. Um, amid these uncertainties with injuries, uh, with Jacob Conover, who who really is behind the eight ball. You know, I mean, he, he didn't take many reps uh, in the spring. He took more than he's taken in, in fall, for sure. Um, but uh, took limited reps before he entered last week's game. Uh, he'll, he'll obviously be more involved this week, but how much can you actually prepare him to face a USC defense that looks much improved um, I don't know. I, I don't think it's a lot. And, um, you know, moving forward, you're, you're in the middle of the season now. So you're, you're trying to piece and, and piece these things together um, without any real magic bullet. And I think that's the, the way you can really sum up this quarterback situation. Um, and even in some cases also uh, apply that to the other positions that are dealing with uh, some of these absences. Chris, what do you think here? Uh, well, the quarterback play was terrible on Saturday. Um, perplexing in, in, in some respects. The everybody, a lot of ASU fans, at least I should say, were clamoring for Trenton Bourget after seeing a pretty mediocre passing attack in, in overall offensive performance in the first two games. And then Bourget promptly goes out there, throws an interception right away. Um, by the way, the on that play, he faced pressure pretty quickly because one of the linemen on the left side, I believe it was Finau, uh, yielded that, and he wasn't able to step into the throw enough, and it was a little bit underthrown. He's not a guy that can zip a ball from his back foot without getting stepping into the throw and delivering a ball. That was a zone look. Um, guy made a very good adjustment dropping back into coverage. Ball was underthrown by several yards. 
partly maybe related to the pressure that was in Borgay's face, partly related to injuries. Nevertheless, he had no interception there. Then, very perplexing, drops the ball out of his hand and scrambles to grab it and then goes to throw it. His left leg hurts his left ankle, it looked like to me. And he's off the game, out of the game on crutches. Drew Pine goes out there. Remember, he hadn't practiced for a whole month after hurting a hamstring in the camp times on a scrimmage. He only practiced, I guess, three times or three or four times before playing in the, in the game on Saturday, and he did not look ready to play. Now, how much of that is physical, how much of that is rust, the, 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 the speed of the game impacting him, hard to say. I'm sure probably, you know, some of that in different buckets. Um, the reality, though, of course, is even if you are going to get sacked because of giving up pressure, you can't just drop the ball twice, which pretty much happened. And uh, then he also, through interceptions, the the second interception was just like I didn't even – it was obvious that the defensive player was right there. He also missed throws, the fourth down play um, where ASU went for it from whatever it was, the one or two yard line. Uh, on a play action, Bryce Pierre was open, wide open. That's his second read. Didn't even seem to look at him. He went from one to three read. He skipped the read, it seemed like, on the progression. Um, and he seemed, to me at least, to sort of freeze in moments um, with under duress. And Fresno State did a very good job of dialing up pressure and bringing it, bringing it at him. You have to understand hot routes. They did some things with some of the pressures that – he should have recognized quickly we're hot. Like your back, your back is not in protecting. They bring a nickel corner blitz with a overload with a, a scraping blitzer behind it. That's you're, you're, you have to get the ball out hot. He's holding the ball and getting hit. And, 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 and uh, that was very odd. It was so obvious from what they did on film that we discussed it on the podcast. We can go they get into a bear front. They bring their nickel. Then they scrape around. It's like, we saw it. Right. So you have to be on the field and have a recognition of this. So I, I, you know, I hate to say this, but the reality is Drew Pine did not look like he even deserved to be on the field in that game or was ready to be on the field, one or the other, okay? And it's important to say this is not, a, this is not Notre Dame's offensive line. He was 8-2 and two last year at the start of Notre Dame. They had fantastic protection in front of him. It's like a, a wall that, that's, you know, impenetrable in front of him. And so, yeah, you got plenty of time, four or five seconds to sit back there, pump it, scan it, do all these things. This is not that. You have to get the ball out quickly, right? And Jacob Conover comes into the game. You just cannot expect much from your four-string quarterback. He, he obviously, you know, threw interceptions and, and, and didn't really move the football that much. I, I'm not even going to really – uh, critique him because shouldn't have even really played. But the the idea that Jaden Rashada was somehow the problem, I think pretty clearly everybody looks at this game and goes, yeah, maybe not, right? Uh, didn't play. You scored zero points from the football over eight times. Uh, and most people probably are now wishing that they could have Jaden Rashada back at quarterback, right? So um, we'll see about the injuries. Dillingham did say favorable if 
you know, and I don't know what it is, but if you have a grade one groin strain in the, and Dillingham did say it's a muscle issue, right? So if you do have a grade one, you know, uh, groin strain, you might be able to play the next week or maybe within a week or two. If you have a low ankle sprain, that's the best case scenario for Trenton Bourget, you might be able to play in a week or two. So neither one of those injuries, to my eye, my experience, watching the watching the way that they pointed to their injuries on the telecast after the game, neither one of those looked to me like they were serious injuries that are going to keep these guys out a long time. Very much different than uh, a, a like a grade two hamstring tear which is a month at least injury for most guys or different than Borgay breaking his, his fifth metatarsal and trying to play through that. They, they, this seems to be much more minor types of things and they need, they need those guys back. I, I at this point, I think that they definitely Borgay is the quarterback who gets the ball out the quickest for sure on the team. And if you can't run the ball, you need to rely and lean it as much as you possibly can on quick game, quick game, quick game. How do you get the ball to players in a hurry, not take negative plays, see what you can do? To me, at this point, with Rashada out a long time and what we saw from Pine, I think you have to try to go with Borgay. So in light of everything we've discussed offensively, what can the Sun Devil offense do to improve, Jake? Let's go back to you. Yeah, you know, I feel like just kind of, you know, we talked about last week having the layers to your offense, right, where – it's important to get the ball out quickly and, you know, have a passing game, but also you got to be able to run the football, right? That's where the game's won and lost in the trenches. So if you want to make sure you run the ball and you have this, you know, consistent rotation uh, in your offensive line, maybe you experiment more with uh, some more packages that include multiple running backs in the backfield with maybe some more tight ends up front. Um, just maybe try and get a little bit more push up front and maybe you start having passes out of those, right? With some of your tight ends, multiple tight end sets where they're not getting out into the open field in a passing game. So at least then you're keeping the defense on its toes and you're not just saying, Hey, when we have a multiple, multiple tight end look with some running backs in the backfield, we're going to run it every down. Maybe here we're, you know, we're going to pass here. So I think that's one thing that they could, you know, improve on and maybe that would help them get their run game going. Um, You know, especially with a guy like Scadaboo in the back, in the backfield, who's going to, you know, once he gets up to a lot of scrimmage, he's going to fight for every, every extra yard uh, once he gets there. Noah, your thoughts. Forget the run game, man. I mean, <laughs> the, they they averaged 1.6 yards per carry against Fresno State. Okay. Um, Fresno State's defense isn't terrible, but they weren't by any means uh, very good or elite. They allowed 66 points through their first two games. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I, I don't think it's – Going to the ground, I think when you look at and evaluate ASU's best offensive weapons, it's not their running backs. Cameron Scadable, it's not Cameron Scadable. It's not Tevin White. It's not Kyson Brown, Carlos Brooks, whenever he comes back. Um, it's the receivers, Elijah Badger, Xavier Guillory, Sanders. I, I think they need to essentially key in on those guys, getting the ball in their hands as quickly as possible, especially Badger, because Badger um, – he, he's he's elite, man. And when you can get the ball to him and let things happen, that's going to bode well or at least better for you. Um, and, and so, you know, it kind of goes off of what Chris was talking about with getting Borgay in there, getting quick game, and essentially trying to push this offense forward through its best playmakers. Um, you know, even 
to, to a certain extent, when you have Sanders and Stovall who are so reliable out of the slot, you know, reliable hands, all, all of that I think is important to bring into this into this discussion and and consider because this this offense when you're when you're this depleted at the offensive line, you have to try and not play into that, but play away from it essentially. And I think if they were to try and find creative ways to get you know, uh, some some rushing yards, maybe some end arounds to Badger. That that's even a possibility that comes to mind. But you don't run it further. You don't play your offense further to this offensive line where you're going to need more from them. You know, you you don't really want to do that at this point, uh, in my mind. And so, doing that uh, instead through your wideouts, who are very skilled, who can grab yards after catch. Uh, make guys miss in the open field. I think those are all things that you want to try and game plan for moving forward. Um, if you're going to try at all, because I, I think there there are limited options here, right? It, it's not like there's going to be. Yes, there's there's so much room to to take this offense um, to the next level. It's just trying to salvage what is left, and um, that that's what's left in my, in my opinion. Chris, anything else to add on what ASU's offense can improve upon? Well, first of all, you have to, in my opinion, give your players something that they can be motivated or encouraged by to make sure that they're continuing to be bought in and working hard and all these things. And the number one thing that makes sense is Kenny Dillingham taking over play calling duties from Bo Baldwin. Um, I watched the game back. I think that there's a lot of things that are that are problematic that aren't really Bo Baldwin's fault. But also at the same time, I think that maybe some of the things that are on their play sheet and or some of the calls that they have are not exactly their best options for what they should be doing right now. And I running the football is going to be very difficult. Full stop. The whole season. Cameron Scadaboo. DeCarlos Brooks, they are assignment sound guys, but they are not make you miss guys. This offense requires elite athlete make you miss guys because the blocking isn't going to hold up as long as you want or set up as you need to work. The far be it for me to give advice to anyone, but I think that what has to happen here is you need to get as creative as possible with shifts and motions to run as many uh, quick game concepts and RPO concepts that get the ball into places in a hurry where defenses are not adjusting as quickly as you need to. I'm a big football fan. I watch the NFL a lot. One of the things that I saw on yesterday, Sunday, was the Miami Dolphins have this phenomenal RPO action that they use. They use exit, what they call exit motion. And essentially what it is, is right before the snap, there's somebody that's vacating the backfield or a bunch or something that's, 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 that's happening so quickly that it's forcing the defensive players to try to communicate and adjust immediately at the snap, right? And the reality is, that if ASU can't induce mistakes on the defensive side, 
coverage busts, communication errors, get two guys on one guy, have one guy get go into a space that somebody else has pushed out as a vacation, uh, a vac- vacating. That, if they can't do that, they're not going to be successful. These generic plays where you throw the ball on a swing to a guy coming out of the backfield, that stuff ain't it. That's not going to work. You got to infuse your play sheet with a lot of motions that induce mistakes, period. And if I'm Kenny Dillingham, I'm looking at piping as much of that stuff as you possibly can into your playbook. And it, and the, the hope would be that you could get Trenton Bourget as your quarterback because he's the best suited person, I think, to be able to execute that. Defensively, ASU looked sound. The Sun Devils, 15 points allowed off of turnovers, was the least points allowed in games where teams gave up eight or more turnovers. Still a little banged up there, as I mentioned earlier. Clayton Smith was in a boot on Saturday. But overall, uh, what did you guys think of the performance from ASU defensively against Fresno State on Saturday? Jake, let's go to you. I think if in the preview podcast, if we had sat down and said uh, ASU, we just talked about the defense, and we said ASU's defense was going to come away with, um, you know, putting the special teams with five or six field goal, or five or seven field goals, excuse me, and they were only going to allow 29 points on um, on eight turnovers, we would probably say that this is a game that ASU is definitely in, let alone just completely get shut out, right? Um, and I think the big thing for me that was kind of, um, I guess maybe not really impressive, but I guess maybe stood out from the game itself was the the amount of pressures they were going to be able to get onto the uh, onto the quarterback, Mikey Keene. Um, they had six sacks total, then that was a combination of some defensive linemen getting into the backfield and making some damage there. But also there was a really nice play call by Simmons, who was at uh, the top. He was playing, you know, his high safety position, came down um, through the, who was the A gap or B gap, but an interior gap um, and managed to get into the quarterback and basically take Keen down as soon as he got in the, into the backfield. So they were really good. I think it's, you know, if you go back and watch it, there's a lot of moments where they stood out and had the right play calls outside of that first drive. It seemed like, you know, Fresno State had a really good, script uh to start off the game but past that point when you start getting into the especially in that second half i was um you know pretty impressed with their performance uh, given of course the eight turnovers that their offense gave up no what did you think of the defensive performance on saturday brian ward showed his work <laughs> um you know in the preseason he, he he comes to the media and he says our goal this year is to have 40 sacks <laughs> and, and we all kind of just look at each other and say, okay, let's, um, you know, shoot for the moon, land on the clouds or something, I, you know, and especially after, you know, the first game when you, when you don't have any um, questions arise, like how, how realistic is that? Um, I mean, they had, what was it? Six sacks, six sacks again. Um, not again, but um, they had a decent showing uh, against Oklahoma State there. But I, I think the difference was, and Jake had mentioned this with, with the Simmons breakdown, um, B.J. Green in the Oklahoma State game was the catalyst in terms of the pressure that he was able to get on the quarterbacks. They played uh, from his interior positions when they moved him inside. And I think in this, one, in this matchup against Fresno State, Ward, like you could – you could credit Ward with more uh, in terms of the blitzes that he dialed up. Ro Torrance, obviously, he has two sacks unblocked off of cornerback blitzes. 
Simmons had his blitz. Um, and, and even Josiah Cox got in there to share, to share a sack as well. Um, so that we, we said on a podcast a couple weeks ago that um, against Oklahoma State, Ward needed to show more um, in order to really have us get a better gauge for where this defense is at, what it's capable of in terms of being that aggressive or meeting, I guess, those aggressive expectations, you know, that Ward sort of embodies. Um, and so the, lots of good signs in, in that regard. I think the other thing, um, you know, we, we mentioned, Jake mentioned uh, holding Fresno State to all those field goals. <laughs> I think three of those drives, two drives, Fresno State literally didn't gain a single yard. <laughs> two of those, one of them started the fifth, ASU's 15-yard line, uh, the other at the 13-yard line. That's that's just ridiculous. Um, for, for an offense that entered this matchup averaging uh, a little bit over 36 points per game, right? So I think all, all of that taken into account, um, the defense is something that uh, ASU fans can be excited about, um, that, that it, they can look forward to, to seeing in some of these other, um, other games against better offenses, right? They're going to have USC coming up. They're going to play Colorado the week after that. And um, as we've sort of covered, there's going to be a lot of ranked opponents on their schedule and they're ranked for a reason. Uh, you know, Washington, I believe, is on there still. So uh, these are some things that, you know, as far as monitoring beyond the injuries and things that are more doom and gloom, uh, this is the upside uh, for, for fans to buy into if they if there's anything at all uh, to, to really say that that you can be happier or at least somewhat satisfied about with this team. Chris, what would you like to add? That it was a damn good defensive performance. Uh, I'm not going to call anybody out by name, but there was a, a, a young reporter in the post-game press conference who asked what was working for Mikey Keene to Jordan Clark and Chris Edmonds, and it wasn't exactly received well. Uh, and the bottom line is, if you know anything about football at all, if your offense turns the ball over eight times, okay, and the opponent scores only 29 points in the game, your defense did really well. There's not a problem with ASU's defense. Like, like they're rank, they rank in the top 35, 40 of a bunch of, na- of, of categories nationally. Like, they're doing – for a first-year situation, they're doing well. Now, they're not getting interceptions and fumbles. That's the, num- that's the biggest thing that they have to do that would be the difference. ASU's dead last right now nationally in turnover margin. Kay Billingham says – Throughout, you guys probably heard it, throughout the, the, the preseason, the team that wins a turnover battle wins 74% of football games, right? So ASU's last in the category. It, it, is, it, is a, it is a impossible way to – and turnovers are a little bit luck. When you, when you, when you bring enough pressure on Mike Keene that you get six sacks in the game, that's really good. Ordinarily – if you get six sacks, you're probably going to get a turnover or two, or maybe even more than that, I would say, right? I, don't, I don't look the stats up. I'd venture to guess that's the case. It probably is. And they were close on some, on some occasions, right? There was multiple times where defensive guys got their hands on the ball. So there's a luck factor that's kind of going against ASU right now because other teams are getting some, some turnovers 
that an ASU's not, but you also make your own luck, right? Largely. But uh the pass rush is starting to show. Let's let's make sure that we highlight Prince Dorba. Comes off the bench after Clayton Smith goes down. He has two sacks. He has another pressure. Uh, I think he was held one time. That was a costly penalty on Fresno State. And then Roe Torrance. Bounce back, right? He gets two sacks. He gave up one touchdown reception where he fell down on the route at the ball's arrival. That was a not a great play. But there was you know only really one that was like a very glaring thing. I still think teams are going to go at him. I think we're going to talk about this a lot in subsequent podcasts. Teams are going to really go at him. Um, and there's going to be better, more potent passing attacks that ASU is going to face. But on the whole, on balance, they're doing good against the run. They are rallying to the football. They're tackling reasonably well for early in a season for a new era. And they're getting after the quarterback. And I think Brian Ward is a very good coordinator. Fresno State came out with scripted offense in the, the first series, moved the ball right down the field, right? And I think that was because they 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 identified the coverages in the down and distance situations that ASU was likely to be in, but then ASU presented different and more difficult pictures in response to that, which is a very good adjustment that I think is an indicator of a good coach. Because these coaches know each other really well, basically. All these coaches, they, they, they know – Everybody knows Brian Ward's scheme and what he's going to try to do and all this stuff. Um, there's things that they got to tidy up. They they ran Tampa two on the first touchdown that split them between the two safeties in the red zone. Tate Romney didn't get which where he needed to be. The safety on that side probably didn't get to where he needed to be. Chris Edmonds has not done particularly well when they need to bring him up as a run defender, and he has to read some of those situations. And so he's either kind of jumping out, he's getting a little too fidgety rather than letting plays declare themselves is the way I would describe it. Um, so there's stuff that they can improve upon. Absolutely. They're going to get severely tested, like an extraordinary test on Saturday. And are they ready for that? I don't think anybody's ready for that necessarily. They're certainly not one of the best defenses in the country. So you can't say that they're expected to do well but the ASU's defense is not whatsoever the problem right now with the reason this team started one and two and if the offense was even close to as good as the defense right now ASU would be three and yeah you mentioned USC coming to town this Saturday what do the Sun Devils have to be ready to do to compete with not only USC and Caleb Williams former Heisman winner but also with the seven other currently ranked teams in the Pac-12 uh, Jake, let's go over to you. Yeah, you know, I think it's just, you know, defensively, of course, is kind of maintaining what what they're doing. Um, you know, like kind of Chris said, right? It's a guy like Caleb Williams on that offense and how potent and, you know, kind of strong that, that, that offense is, you're not going to be able to stop them, right? Like there's always a famous quote by coaches against really talented players or, or uh, teams where they say, you know, you can't stop the player, you can only limit them, right? And that's the best thing that ASU can do in this case is just try and limit, um, you know, a, you know, USC's attack. Uh, last year again, at Washington State, Ward went up against USC and allowed only 30 points, 12 points less than ASU's 42 points allowed when they um, went to the Coliseum last year. So you're able to just maybe just continue what you're doing and hope that you, that's enough to limit USC defensively. That might work. Um, and then, of course, offensively, you know, although, you know, Noah has said how it's important to make sure that you're, you know, maybe getting more creative with your run game, which is 
you know, very important, especially when your offensive line is decimated like it is. But at the same time, too, I feel like you can't go away from your run game, although there's a bunch of problems there, right? Because for any football team, if you want to be successful and you want to win games, you have to keep the defense guessing. And as soon as you just say, we're not going to run the football and we're just going to pass, I think that's when you start running into problems um, as a football team. Noah, over to you. Uh, I'm sorry, Jake, but this this USC offense is just uh, – it's not the same as last year, for one. Uh, that that receiving room that the USC has – like, forget Caleb, – Caleb Williams is, is the Heisman Trophy winner, okay? That receiving room is well deep. <laughs> they have seven or eight guys that are elite in that room. Um, I, I'm, I'm really not expecting that much from this ASU defense. It's the fourth game. Like it's the fourth game and they're going up against an offense with a ton of experience that is absolutely rolling. They scored more than 50 points in, in each of their games so far. Um, I do think that when we look at some of the things that we've already talked about on the podcast uh, in terms of suggested um, adjustments, an offense that uh, executes more quick game concept, concepts can result in longer drives, which can then subsequently keep Caleb Williams off the field uh, for you know a little longer. Uh, that that I think is the one uh, possibility in which you can actually uh, reasonably say. Um, you can limit Caleb Williams because when he's on the field right now, like the dude has, has, hasn't thrown an interception. He's making highlight plays left and right. Um, there, there doesn't appear to be a weakness in that offensive unit. So I think the, the way to go is if you can try to at least execute some sustained drives, keeps the defense a little bit more fresh and uh, Caleb Williams on the sideline. So, you know, as, as far as I can tell, that is, that is, you know, right now I'm looking at USC for, for the first look that's going to go up tomorrow. And, and that's, that's the thing that sticks out to me as, as the potential way to, to keep this game close or, or, or set semi-close um, because the, the line is, I think it was 33 and a half. The last time I looked at it, it, it's that high for a reason. Chris, going over to you for your thoughts. Yeah. Um, I'm going to focus more so with my last words on why and how ASU is in this situation. And it's not ultimately Kenny Dillingham's fault or any of the players on his team or the assistant coaches or anything like that. This, the, the ASU football is in this situation because Michael Crow, ASU's president, and Ray Anderson, ASU's athletic director, in some combination of the two of them failed to understand what needed to be done to help the program to be more successful. And that isn't a, that isn't a six month or six week problem. That is really not even a six year problem. This is basically the natural outflow of all the decisions that they have made around ASU football and the athletic department for many years. And they should have taken corrective action much sooner with Herm Edwards and what happened. They should have also been infusing as much as they can or could have a lot more help. 
to, to, to that program in terms of um, additional assets, human personnel, things that they could, they could, they could utilize. And the, 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 the result of all of this is empty stadiums in the fourth quarter, third quarter, last season, this season. Many more fans deciding that they're going to tune out ASU football. And what comes from that, of course, is less money coming into your coffers. And uh, fewer people willing to invest in what you're doing. You had a booster, Nap Lawrence, give a million dollars for for NIL this year. How I mean, how must you feel that you gave a million dollars and a lot of that money got spent on players and you're going to have the worst season ever. And are other people going to feel like, yeah, that's a good investment for me right now with Ray Anderson and Michael Crow still in place as they are. So Kenny Dillingham is in, he has inherited like the worst situation that any ASU football coach has probably inherited. Um, and not saying that this, Staff's done a great job necessarily through three games, but when you have the injury factors and quarterback woes and and the all the stuff that you're trying to do to set a foundation of who you're trying to be with your culture, and you're coming off of two recruiting years in a row that were abject failures to build young talent into your program, and then you have a very short window of time to add all of these players, 50 scholarship players. Uh, and then you have bad luck as they have had. It's extraordinarily difficult, but you have to go, what is the reason for all of this? And the reason is very simply because Michael Crow and Ray Anderson did not understand and or did not care enough about the what is the most important thing to the bottom line of ASU athletics. And I just think it's so unfortunate that Ray Anderson has decided apparently that he thinks he should stick around for all of this. He's got two and a half years, I guess, maybe on his contract, a little over two years left on his contract. And Michael Crow is deciding apparently he's going to continue to roll with, with Anderson. And I've had conversations with boosters who they're not going to put their chips in and give their money nearly to the degree, the degree that they otherwise would have if they if there was new leadership in place. And that has the ability to sabotage. That's a that's a strong word, but I, I mean that literally. If you are if you if you're the AD and you already know that a bunch of boosters aren't giving money right now who otherwise would give money, right? You're intentionally putting yourself and you continuing in your role for ego purposes or whatever it is, wanting to not go out a loser, I don't know, but you're putting yourself over the good of the program because I'm telling you, if, if he left or if Crow dismissed him and they had hired a new AD, money would come in. People would say, okay, let's go. We're ready to, we're ready to go again. So that is, that is, that is a travesty. Right when you're when you're and, and he's made comments over the years about you know if this doesn't work out I'm ready to give the keys back to President Crow and all these kinds of things and it was his friend Herm Edwards and he gave him four and a half million when he didn't even need to there's just so it's just it it just isn't right and I just can't stress enough that 
Nobody wants to talk to me about anything more than that. That is the number one thing that people want to talk to me about. ASU fans, boosters. We have thousands of people that read our stuff every day. That is the number one thing that people want to talk about. And obviously it matters a lot to them. So not saying that those guys are, you know, they're, they're not in the building coaching football or whatever, but they are the, the thing that oversees all of this, right? And they decided to make this coaching hire and do, do what they did. So you have to say that they are the problems, that they do not necessarily understand how to run a athletic department properly, and they shouldn't have the jobs that they have. Well, Michael Crow, he runs a university. It's a $3 billion university. But but so I'm not saying he should lose his job or I'm not saying any of that. But, when, but smart people, guys, smart people understand that they're not smart at everything. Okay? I have a very small, narrow focus. I don't even like people go, hey, what do you think about the SEC race? In football, I got no idea about the SEC race. I'm only trying to understand what's going to happen with ASU and the Pac-12 on a week-to-week basis. Michael Crow's got so many things on his plate, he can't possibly have an actual understanding of athletics to the degree that he needs to. So that means you have to empower an athletic director. But I personally feel like a lot of the things that get done around ASU with athletics is what Crow wants. And Ray is just like a shield that he is able to throw out there. And maybe that's why he still has a job because he's able to take a lot of the flack. And if he had a new AD, well, maybe people wouldn't blame the new AD. They blame you. So I think it's all super unfortunate. Uh, you know, I'm sure that Ray Anderson is not going to be the coach, the AD in two and a half years, but a lot, a lot of, a lot of, you know, uh, challenges can be made much worse by having him in place during that time period. And if Michael Crow doesn't understand that, it's just yet one more thing that he's failed ASU Athletics on. Guys, before we go ahead and wrap up this podcast, I want to go ahead and give you the chance to add on anything else you may want to. So, ah, uh, Sorry, let's just cut it. Let's just cut okay, it. Okay, I figured out that you'd want to just cut it. <laughs> All right. Three, two, All right. Thanks for all that, guys. We're going to have another podcast later this week previewing ASU versus USC. Chris, you already put up the Upon Further Review article on the site. That showcases some bright spots to head out uh, and look for. And then more written analysis coming out tomorrow, along with quarterback updates, practice reports, and more. But until then, for Chris Cartman, Jake Seymour, and Noah Furtado, I am Ethan Tuttle for Sun Devil Source saying thank you so much. We'll see you next time.